All right, gentlemen, settle down. Turn off your phones. No texting. All that horse crap. You know, I had a... Uh, <laughs> I'm a dinosaur when it comes to all this crap. You know, I, I have an old flip phone, and I wouldn't have that if my wife hadn't forced me to get one. Uh, like I told my grandsons, I, I, when I started math, it was on an abacus. <laughs> now, only the older people in here know what an abacus is. A lot of uh, the other ones went, huh, huh, what's that? But, uh, and there's a lot of people in here that uh, probably won't understand my references to our next speaker whose sobriety date is uh, November 15th, 1967. So that makes him 48 years. I have him by two. Uh, and I really didn't become aware of this person until I had about five, six years of sobriety. And about the time I became aware of him, I was uh, going through a divorce. I had the California-style divorce at that time, 50-50. She got everything inside the property lines, I got the streets. Uh-huh. And it was a rude awakening that when I, uh, I never read the papers. Oh, you know, I never read papers. Fuck those things. So when my oldest one turned 18 and I knocked off the child support on her, I got a nasty letter from my ex-wife's attorney saying, you're on the hook till 21. Ooh. I thought, yeah, whatever. Dealt with that resentment. But when I was going through all this crap in my life, not feeling the greatest uh, kinship with the females that have been in my life, who just sucked the blood right out of it, you know. <laughs> I, I heard a guy at the podium, and he kind of reminded me of John Wayne, you know, big cowboy. And he was the only one I identified with when he started talking about women. And I said, right on! <laughs> yeah. But you know, over the years, I've had the pleasure of his acquaintance. I've had the pleasure of hearing his growth. I've had been able to watch him go through many things and stay sober and grow. And it's with my great pleasure and respect, I give you Don R. My name is Don R. and I'm an alcoholic. And I'll clear the woman thing up right away. I used to say, from the podium, if you women didn't have that thing you sit on, you'd be in a fucking pasture by yourselves. 
But now that fits into step six and seven. And I want to thank Ted and John and Mike. And I want to particularly share with you that I am only talking about my experience. I'm not telling you what you should do. But I will say a couple of things. I couldn't do step three. I could not do it. It took over 12 years of sobriety, okay? And people would say you have to work the steps in order. If I had had to work the steps in order, I probably wouldn't have stayed sober because I would have been false on step three, okay? So I'll tell you that in the reading of chapter five at the end, it says the ABCs. A, I'm powerless over, uh, I'm an alcoholic and my life is unmanageable. B, that no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. And C, that God couldn't, would have sought. It doesn't say found. It says sought. So in 12 years of seeking on a daily basis with the 24-hour day book, I found a higher power, but I couldn't call him God because it smelled of religion. And there is enough religion that when they say God as you understand him, but my God doesn't have a Jesus in it. That's okay now. I grew up with a God with a Jesus in it. And also a very, God kept an inventory of my behavior. <laughs> and there was no salvation. You know, and just to let you know how easy that was to come up with is that I was raised a Catholic, and if there's Catholics in here, you'll know that when you go to confession, you have to be truly sorry for your sins in order to have a good confession. You had to have a good confession to go to communion. I was five years in the Catholic boarding school. When I started masturbating, I couldn't truly say I was sorry. <laughs> so I was, in a, I was in a lot of trouble with that. And, and so it took me all those years. And when I surrendered to my higher power, because I've been a belligerent individual, I said, I fucking don't have to like it. But I've had to do it, and I really encourage you not to take 12 years. Okay. And I did my inventory because my sponsor helped me the first night I met him. I was arrogant, and I was above because my mother used to say, you're better than that. <laughs> I want to go play with Johnny, but Johnny was Mexican. You're better than that. I wanted to do this. You're better than that. My behavior would be bad, she'd say, you're better than that. But I lost my mother when I was seven. She went to China with my dad, and so I went to the Catholic boarding school, and I grew up in the Catholic boarding school under the tutelage of nuns, no men around. So I had a lot of trouble about manhood. I got my manhood out of fiction and movies. John Wayne was a hero, God. The frontiersman, I read a great deal of frontiersman. 
they suffered without showing any emotions. I even stuck pins in my hands in front of a mirror so that I, I wouldn't display any emotions, and it nearly distorted my living to where years later a psychologist said that I had the most deadly self-control of emotions of anybody she'd ever met. Nobody ever knows where you stand because you're always the same. So anyway, now we're going to go to steps six and seven. And I'm old, so I've taken notes, so I just don't ramble. We did, this was before step six, and it was well said by Mike. We did exactly the same things with our, with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out our flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self-manifestation manifested in various ways what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. We're then entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, right? And I did that. I took the inventory, a liar, thief, and a cheat, you know, ran around with women, did all this thing. That was easy to write down. I left a few things off because I didn't want to tell anybody in step five. You know, just a few things, a few sexual things. Did your chicken die? <laughs> you know? Okay, this step separates the men from the boys, so declared a well-loved clergyman who happened to be one of AA's greatest friends. He went on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly, repeatedly, big word, step six on all his faults, without any reservation, whatever, has indeed come a long way spiritually. And it's therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow an image and likeness of his creator. If we can answer to our satisfaction we top six, we're ready to say something like this. My creator, I'm now willing that you should remove all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now Remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my being useful <clears throat> to you and my fellow man. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Um, amen. We have now completed step seven. That's how quick it is in the big book. I did that. I want him to remove my defects of character so I didn't have to look for him. Right? He knows what they are. Right? So I'm done. Well, after 12 years of sobriety, my life's in the shitter. I've already been divorced once. You know? I haven't drank. I can't blame drinking. What happened? See? To me, I had fought this surrender to a higher power for so many years that I shared with you how I surrendered. At that point, little by little, 
over the next 36 years, <laughs> I'm still working on it, I've been able to discover things about me. And part of those things that I've discovered go to a, a I got it written down here because it, because uh, of my, wow, that was easy. What a mistake I made. I'm talking about being done with six and seven. Moral nature, not flaws in my makeup. My inventory, most things I listed were of a moral nature, not flaws in my makeup. It took years of additional personal examination. I quickly gave up stealing adultery, took some time to give up lying, but a life of sobriety was sound, solid. I did the meetings, I was of service, everything appeared to be beautiful. Built an AA persona, and in 25 years sober, I got a beautiful wife, young wife, 26 years younger. Wow, am I a man? <laughs> you know, and she used to be a stripper. I mean, I got it going. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm retiring. I got a wife, a beautiful young wife sitting next to me. I got a pocket full of money. I'm on my way to Montana to take her up there to uh, share that uh, whether or not she wanted to live in Montana. I might have had to get rid of her if she hadn't wanted to, but but uh, I wanted to be, I'm learning in AA because you men are great examples. And so I'm consulting with my wife about my what we're going to do. Before that, I never consulted it. I just told her what we were going to do. So I'm growing, see? And I had this thought a few miles outside of Missoula, Montana, and she was asleep. And you know, I, I used to drink because I had problems. And now I don't have any problems. I wonder if I could drink. The only thought I've ever had about that. Scared the living shit out of me. So I woke her up and told her I had to find a meeting in Missoula. I got to that, found the meeting. It was New Year's Eve. Now I got this AA persona, right? So I'm not about to tell people what's going on in me because that'll injure my persona. 25 years sober and doing that, you know? So I was just gonna take in the meeting. But a young girl got up, two years sober, said it's fucking New Year's Eve and I want to drink so bad I can taste it. And that girl gave me the courage to get up and share exactly what I just told you. So little by little, as I'm living and I'm working on six and seven, where do I find out how selfish I am? Selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problems. How do you become unselfish? I don't like being unselfish. I really don't. I'm, I'm perfectly okay thinking about me. So how do you get rid of it? You ask God. Things happen in your life. This is a journey. That's what I really like to share with people. 
This is a journey, and it's an individual journey, and I'm not going to tell you how to do anything. I'm going to tell you what I've done, only what I've done. I've had to go through lessons. I have a higher power. I sometimes say to him, would you make the lesson so I can recognize it? <laughs> it may involve greed. It may involve financial insecurity. It might involve selfishness. It might involve lust. But if you don't look for those things, you won't, you won't get there. And I'll tell you how strong the unselfishness is. And I'm not talking about, I appear generous. That's an appearance. I had a ranch that we had meetings there, sometimes 200 people. But I didn't start that meeting out of love for you fuckers. <laughs> I started that meeting because a newcomer that I was working with, a cowboy, said, we ought to have meetings up here. And I'm trying to be less selfish. So I say, okay. One of the best mistakes that was best for me that ever happened. And you guys would come up there, and I would appear to be very generous and everything, and underneath my insides, I'm saying, you fuckers, I wish you weren't even here. Particularly when one of you would be smoking in the hay barn. Uh, you know. I mean, that's real me. That's the real me. And it came to fruitation a few years later. And by the way, after having those meetings for 16 or 17 years, when somebody would say thank you, I could feel okay about it. I liked you being there. You know. Because you guys have shared your wisdom, and I've been able to pick up on some of it. Some of it, I say, "Oh shit," <laughs> you know. I really do. Because, and and I have this thing about this higher power, and that, and I word it in a different way. Some people say it one way; I say it another way. The test of your higher power, your relationship with your faith in a higher power, is rather you go through what you have to go through without drinking. That's the test of your faith. And that's where I really went to, is I, to have faith in a higher power. See? So I'm sober many, many years. I have an Indian friend named Crazy Horse. Some of you knew him, some of you didn't. He was dying of cancer. And uh, he was in the VA hospital at Spalvita there. I'd pick him up on Thursday and take him to dinner and go to a meeting, right? Now, doesn't that sound generous and being of service and everything? And it really was. But, and we, we went early to the gong show. We're walking in the parking lot. And he says to me, he says, Don, I don't think I'm going to live as long as the doctors say. And I heard myself like I was out of body. I heard myself saying the most beautiful shit you ever heard. <laughs> if somebody had overheard it, they'd think, what a prince that Don is, you know? But my real thoughts were, because a lady I really dug had just kissed me off. 
And my real thoughts while I'm walking and saying this was, you want to hear a real problem? Because it was my problem. So this is where six and seven come in, is to recognize these things. And how do you overcome them? You know, many of you know I have a girlfriend that lives with me. Seven years, and she can't stop talking. I mean, drive, drive you up the walls, and, and she changes the subject you were talking about. And un- unfortunately, as we age, including me, we get forgetful and we get a little bit of dementia, and dementia is recognized greatly because it, it goes back to when you were young, you know. And so much of her conversation is 60 years old. And I listen to it. And the way that I work step six and seven is that I had a mother who was, uh, had dementia and went into Alzheimer's. And I was so angry at her. And I tried to keep correcting her. And somebody told me, get a book called uh, 36 Hour Day. It'll tell you how to handle it. But I was so angry that I wouldn't do it. And later, after she died, and the last time I saw her, I was holding her hand, and she said, have you seen my boys? They haven't come over to see me in a long time. And it just broke my heart. Not because of, of uh, I never was that close to her, but not because of what she said. It's why she had to say it. You know, I said, yeah, I saw them this morning. They said they'd be over this afternoon. <laughs> and the greatest smile came across her face, you know. So this six and seven is not about, to me, remember, I preface this with, this is what happened with me. See? Six and seven is the hardest. People have asked me about it. And they said that uh, Nick asked me if I was nervous. Well, I'm friggin' shaking because I hate these steps. <laughs> I do. The depth that it goes, and, and Mike touched on it, and John touched on it, and Ted touched on it from childhood. Where did I learn this? How did I learn to be a man? I learned to be a man out of fictional books and the movie industry. <laughs> them, them, them guys in the movie industry could walk through the forest and not make a sound, and I practiced and practiced and couldn't do it. <laughs> and I was in the Navy. I did 10 years in the Navy and Navy intelligence and was in Korea for th- three landings and one evacuation. And, uh, and I don't talk about it much. But it did color my life. But I wanted to be a man. And I learned how to be a man from sitting at a bar listening to the drunks. <laughs> right? And they and, and I stayed a virgin for years. Absolutely. But the first time I got laid, I was in a whorehouse in Tijuana, Mexico, 
And she said, hurry up, and God, now I thought, how unfair, because it only took about three seconds. <laughs> you know. And you talk about your sex inventory, right? I can never remember getting laid thinking of whether or not she's okay. <laughs> it never happened. And I use sex, we talk about addiction, I use sex as a sleeping pill. I use sex as a punishment. I used it in many dis dishonest ways. And in the program, I share this with you because I've had a very interesting life and I'm so grateful for sobriety. I'm so grateful to you men. And I knew Ted when he was known as Crazy Ted, and for good reason. <laughs> you know. The learning that I did was so false. You know, I'm a young man. I'm sitting at the bar with married men. They're hitting on the barmaid. They're talking to me about being a man. That's what men do. So I have never had that feeling with a woman for years and years and years and years. In fact, until recently with this lady, Janine, because she don't put up with my shit. <laughs> right? She understands it because we talk. We talk about the childhood of where we learned, what we learned, and who we learned it from, and, and what our persona was. And you know, my dad hated Jews and blacks. My mother thought Mexicans were below, so I was raised for this cut above. And when I got sober, I dressed in black as a sacrifice for my kids. I won't drink anymore. Never about anything else. That was the only reason. And now I find that I can be of service, worthwhile. My life was destructive. I couldn't help it, and I didn't think I... Christ, we had one of the first uh, cantilever deck pools in San Fernando Valley. I was successful many, many ways. I always brought it down with alcohol. And in my sober life, and I talk more about my sober life, my relationships were based on lust. That's the worst thing in the world, because you can get sex without it being lust. You can have sex. But when I have sex with lust, I'm being dishonest. There was a, I stole a book from the library in my sobriety called Conquering the Seven Deadly Sins. And in it, it talked about lust. Well, it talked about self-pride. I got that wrong. That's why I got stuff written down. The book I stole from the library on the seven deadly sins talked about self-pride. And that self-pride is likened in, this, in the book is that you ride by a rock and you see the image of a grand knight, <laughs> you know, and in reality there's nothing there. I don't hardly know an alcoholic going that hasn't built a life in, in, in drinking that isn't afraid it's a house of cards, that one card removed and the whole thing will collapse. Because that 
inside feeling isn't right. And in sobriety, believe it or not, I've built a life where I'm okay. I'm one of God's kids, right? He messed up a lot. He made me. Did he make me the way I am? Big question. Did he make me the way that I am? Or did he give me a path to become who I am? See? I don't know. But you guys have taught me how to live a day at a time. So a day at a time, in spite of my trouble with the third step, in spite of my failings, I got lesson after lesson. I had a horse, for instance. I had a stud called, well, a cut gelding, and uh, I called him Num Nuts. <laughs> and he would not tie close to a hitching post. He would just go bananas, absolutely bananas. And he would, I even put a barrel rope on him, back of his front legs and up through the ring on his halter and whatnot. And he threw himself on the ground and banged his head on the ground enough till blood came out of his nostrils. I just could not get that horse to tie up properly at a hitching post. And yet I could take him out for a ride in the mountains and I could tie him, throw the reins over a limb on a tree and he'd be fine. Drove me crazy. Finally I went to a world, well-known trainer. He trained uh, Roy Rogers' horses. And you know what that man said when I explained the whole problem to him after I've been fighting this for five years? He said, why do you have to tie him tight? So I quit tying him tight, he was fine. It's the same way that I deal with people now. I share with people what I honestly feel, not what they should do, but what I honestly feel. If I haven't experienced, I mean, I, I cannot help a brain surgeon in his operation. I haven't had any of that experience. So if he comes and talks to me, I can't act like I'm a brain surgeon. You know, I got to say, I don't know. Famous words, I don't know. But this is what happened, or I know somebody that I can see if they want, uh, if they talk to you about it, and send you there. You know, I mean, I failed nearly at everything in my whole life. I won Salesman of the Year award, and uh, I've I've this and I went to Catalina. I owned a. 26-foot boat cruiser, and uh, went to Catalina to the Isthmus and got drunk, so drunk that when I got back in time for the party, salesman of the year award. <laughs> I couldn't even stand in the shower to get ready, so I didn't uh, go to the party, and it was in Santa Anita. Santa Anita. And the next uh, day, which was a Monday, uh, I went into work, and uh, my boss says, why weren't you at the party? Were you sick? And I'm belligerent as a son of a bitch. I said, no, I couldn't sober up. 
the first time I ever copped to it. And living in sobriety and burning into people. You know, my sponsor was Hugh Douglas. He started my inventory. I was arrogant and I went, I got lonely. The loneliness has been talked about and it's beautiful. I mean, we all have that, nearly all of us have that feeling of loneliness. And after I came into AA and I, I really, I mean, stop and look around. Would you really want to turn your will and your life over to this group? <laughs> and that's what happened when I came into AA. Ted was there. Crazy Ted was there. There was a guy from the Hells Angel. He'd get up to the podium, you gotta stop to smell the roses. <laughs> wow, I'm educated, I ain't that sick, you know. That's what I really thought, but I got lonely. And so I went down to a cafe that I heard they go to a cafe. And at this Catholic boarding school, I learned impeccable manners. You won't recognize it now, but I learned it. <laughs> but I learned impeccable manners. So I go up and I say, my name's Don, may I join you? And they said, certainly, welcome, you know, certainly. And uh, so I went person to person and I got to this guy, he had uh, hairy armpits that showed out of his, his hang 10 t-shirt and, and uh, drove a Osmobile convertible, smoked a cigar and uh, I said, my name's Don. He says, my name's Hugh. Do you want to know something? Now, just being polite, I said, yes. He said, you're a goddamn phony. You don't talk to a man of the West that way. I started to get up, and he said, don't bother. You're a coward, too. And I got my inventory started. <laughs> What I'm sharing with you is this is an ongoing thing. This lady I'm with doesn't close cupboard doors, doesn't turn off lights. My very being wants to say you left the light on. You didn't close the door. You know, she's 85, I'm 85. We're both hard of hearing. Both got a touch of dementia, and I'm going to correct her. <laughs> that, is, that is recognizing that I have my own things to overcome. My own things to overcome. And she's so generous with letting me live the way I live, because I pee off the front porch all the time. <laughs> I like it. There's a sense of freedom. You guys, most of you are caught up in what I call a, a mouse cage. You can't go pee off the balcony. I can. I can walk out naked. Ground squirrels don't care. You know. But I have to realize that there are Lim limits to what I can express, how I can express myself without causing harm. Mm. See? Now my mother, uh, 
I'm, I want to get done pretty quick. My mother was very happy when I got sober at the Allen Nest. My mother was very happy about that. And she uh, wanted to donate money to the Allen Nest, and they wouldn't take the money at the time. And, uh, but two years after, when I was two years sober, she says, do you still have to go around those people? Well, I want you to know you're my people. I don't fit in the other people. You're my people. You can talk about the chicken. <laughs> really? You don't even put a moral judgment on it. And I learned that, and another thing that I learned, and it shows up in sep six and seven, is to live transparent. And in living transparent, you get a freedom, a freedom that is unbelievable. People ask me how I'm doing. If I don't want to share a problem, which I don't share my problems with everybody, I have a few people I share them with, if I don't want to share a problem, I'll say, fine, my pants are dry. It's better than life used to be because I keep that paramount. My sobriety is paramount in my life. My learning to be less selfish. I love a, a, a gentleman that's been so kind, and he knows that I use toothpicks, and he brings me toothpicks after every meal so far, you know. I mean, thoughtfulness, you guys are so thoughtful. I can't hardly walk much anymore. I did so, too much bull riding. I got my knees all messed up. I'm getting old. But I love, now I don't love six and seven, but I'm aware it must be continued to be worked. And my lovely lady at home, I'll, t <laughs> I'll tell you this one incident, and it just happened yesterday morning. We get up, I get my coffee, I'm in my chair. She's brought me my coffee, you know. And she's one of these fudget ladies that rearranges everything on the tabletops all over the fucking house, <laughs> you know. So she, she's moving a, chair, a table so my friend from Montana can sit near me and have a place to put his coffee. While she's doing that, she hits something down below, my computer down below, which is on its edge, and it falls, and it knocks two uh, little eyeglass cleaner bottles off. No big deal. I'm not upset, nothing. I mean, everything is A-OK. -okay. I lean over and pick them up, and I set them down, and she says, well, one of them's empty. I said, this is where I get in trouble. <laughs> and this is where I have to learn to apply step six and seven. I say to her, she has arthritis real bad. I say, no, hon. I'm saying it gentle. I say, no, hon. I said, because of your arthritis, you can't push down or not. She just exploded on me changed the whole atmosphere. We're getting ready for us guys to leave. She's been beautiful. She fixed breakfast for everybody, you know. 
when she fired off at me, I reverted to my unemotional self, just cold, hard steel. Wanted to kill the bitch. <laughs> I'm still working on six and seven. I have to work on six and seven because, and I was sharing with a man, he gets angry because somebody passed him. He already passed somebody breaking the speed limit. And then somebody passes him and he gets angry, right? I'm still working on that stuff, you know? And I had, there was a, Ted remembers Jim Wary, but I had a man and we were at a meeting and we were walking out of the meeting and in fact, I'll, I'll spend a minute and tell you about two stories about Jim. We walked out of this meeting and I says, God, I've never been around so many crazy people in my whole life. He says, oh, I was so comfortable I didn't notice. <laughs> Amazing. Hugh Douglas told me, you got to give everybody the same rights that you've taken. Now, I have passed people. I have slowed people up. I have inadvertently, not intentionally, changed lanes and caused them to have to put on their brakes. When you go on and on about it, I got nothing to get angry about. Nothing, absolutely nothing. If I give you the same privileges that I have taken, I got nothing, I've lied, I've stole, I've committed adultery. <laughs> the only thing I haven't done is knowingly kill somebody, but I did while I was in the Navy in Pearl Harbor. I had a great buddy and we drank and played practical jokes on each other and we're coming back, and he walked off the end of the pier. A son of a bitch is playing a joke. So I sat down, waited for him, never came up. Oh, fuck him. I went back aboard ship. Next morning, why, he was reported missing, and I shared that we had walked down the pier and they found his body under the camel that is put down in the water to keep a ship from rolling against the dock. I still feel that to this day. And how do you make amends to the, your kids? When I gave them a good living, they had Catholic school, they had, I mean, they, you know, I gave them a good living because my idea of a man was to furnish the family money and then I could fucking do what I wanted. That was my idea of being a family man. I have set all three kids down. And by the way, my youngest kid just retired from the FAA as an air traffic controller, 56 years old, a millionaire. And I tell him this, and this is gorgeous. I tell him this, I hope when I grow up I could be such a good father that you are, because I wasn't. I've never had family feelings. Maybe it's because of the boarding school. I've never had family feelings. My girls are tickled pink. I don't interfere in their life. If you were to ask them, they'd tell you they adore me, and they do. 
And they say one of the things we're most grateful for is that he doesn't interfere in our life. You know? And I've learned that from you. Live and let live. I know my oldest girl asked me uh, if I wanted to contribute to a, her son's great 16-year-old birthday with a new Mustang convertible uh, present for his 16th birthday. Well, I didn't erupt because I'm getting better. <laughs> but if, you, if you'd have read my mind, <laughs> it would have been bleep forever, you know. And I told her, no, I didn't care to participate in it. Later, when I learned the school he was going to, which was a high prestigious Catholic preparatory school with a high tuition, and the kids drove BMWs, Mercedes, Mustang convertibles. My daughter and her husband were making about 350000 a year. I thought, wow, my thinking's kind of sick. Because I was using the way I was raised, and times have changed. And I struggled with that very thing with NAA over the alcohol drug thing. I struggle with that. I have no objections at all to duly addicted, because I've been duly addicted to alcohol and masturbation for years. <laughs> But I don't think you really want to, I know the wise guys will say, yeah, but you really don't want to hear about masturbation. Because this is an AA function. And so, so when you duly addicted come up, I don't need to hear about drugs. I need to hear about alcohol so that I have a place to go. And I'm very serious about that. I need a place to go to hear about alcohol. They are not the same. No more than a pineapple and an apple. They're both fruits. Wouldn't you agree with that? They're both fruits. But you don't, if you're an apple grower, you do not go to a pineapple grower's convention. <laughs> you won't get what you need. You will hear, if you're a pineapple grower and you go to a pineapple grower's convention, you'll hear about pineapples. If you're an apple grower and you go to an apple grower's convention, you'll hear about apples. And I need to hear about alcohol. And so I ask you, and I mean it sincerely, I ask you to keep a place where I go to hear about alcohol. And I love you all. And I'm going to shut up.